Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 13 of the Trap Rock 101 podcast by Pirates and Poets. I am your host, John Burns. I appreciate you joining me. This episode features an interview with my good friend, Bart Mason. For those of you who don't know Bart, he is from the great state of Iowa, and he is the architect behind the Island Fever Showcase at the Historic Surf Ballroom. You've probably heard talk about that in the last couple of years. It was a really big event, debuted back in 2018. Uh, before we get into the interview, I want to remind you what this podcast is. This is my attempt to create a oral history of the trap rock genre and the trap rock community. Um, most podcasts usually uh, have a focus on the present, uh, current events, uh, upcoming shows and events and festivals or current releases from artists. Uh, this is where I really try to take a look backwards and talk about the history of musicians and bands and events and people like Bart that put those events together. Um, really want to create a oral history so that five or ten years from now, all the people that are coming into the genre now, into the community now, can can look back and understand the roots of our community. So, back to Bart. Um, this is a really fun interview. Bart's a great guy. He has lots of, of great stories and uh, and just... He's so into the community and so supportive of everyone. Uh, I, I really am excited for y'all to hear this. Um, Bart talks about how he first got involved with Parrothead Clubs there in Iowa. Um, the first event he went to, Havana Day Dreaming, put on by the Quad Cities Parrothead Club. And he talks about how, you know, very quickly he, he learned about the boat drunks and, and other artists and other bands in the trap rock community. Um, so pretty quick, he, he kind of moved into the more than just Buffett mindset. Um, so he talks about a lot of the stuff that goes on in Iowa with all the local parody clubs there. Uh, he talks about the process behind the creation of the Island Fever Showcase. And it really was a process. Um, you don't just walk into a venue like the Surf Ballroom and tell them your crazy idea. They don't just rubber stamp it right off the bat. You really have to do your homework and be ready to convince them uh, to, to back your idea. Um, and also at the very end, we do talk about uh, Bart's run for the PHIP presidency. Bart is running for uh, PHIP president in the special election that's happening in the next few weeks. Uh, this this uh, podcast is getting released on September 10th, 2020. So if you're hearing it between now and mid-October, the election is still going on. So just keep that in mind. If you're very If you're really interested in that part of it, Fast forward to the end and listen. But uh, you should you should listen to this entire podcast. It gives you a chance to get to know Bart Mason, uh, who is just a, a great person, great guy that uh, that all of us here at Pirates and Poets have really enjoyed getting to know over the last few years. So uh, enjoy the show. Thanks for checking it out. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy it, please share it with your friends. Um, you can find us at piratesandpoets.net slash troprock101. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and lots of other uh, podcast platforms. So here we go. My conversation with Bart Mason. Enjoy. You know, Jimmy's always been kind of a part of, I, I would say, my life musically. My, both, Maybe even more so my wife, Michelle. Um, we have listened to Buffett for years, for a long time. We actually lived uh, for a while uh, back in the early 2000s, we lived up in a lake community here in Iowa, uh, the Okaboji area, which it's kind of considered Iowa's playground. They're awesome spring-fed uh, glacial lakes, just beautiful water, and it really has that vibe of a beach town, even though you're in the middle of Iowa. And so a lot of the establishments and places up there, they would play Buffett, and we were familiar with Buffett from even before our stint up there. But that's really, I, I would say, our introduction to Buffett and where it started was um, even prior to that, just listening to his music and probably being more familiar with more of the mainstream stuff. We hadn't necessarily got in to a lot of the deeper tracks of Jimmy. And then our, I would say, our real introduction to Buffett um, on a bigger scale came when we moved to eastern Iowa uh, I became a principal down here in Iowa City, uh, took a principalship here, and we moved from northwest Iowa, where I had been a principal before, 
and we discovered the Parrothead Clubs. Uh, totally by chance, we had a, nat- a natural disaster down here with the floods of 2008. We're actually sa- I was actually sandbagging and ran across this gentleman he had on a Buffett t-shirt, and we were actually in, two, in the same bay doing the sandbagging, and um, we struck up a conversation about Jimmy, and at that point, he invited me and Michelle, and he says, hey, you guys ought to come. We, we have these cool meetings up in Cedar Rapids with the Isle of Iowa Parrothead Club, which we had no clue. I'd never heard anything about it. Didn't even know that formal Parrothead Clubs existed, to be totally honest with you, um, and so we went up to a meeting, and um, a lot of people like to say the woman to blame. We, we, we always say it's Steve Robe to blame because <laughs> he was the treasurer from the Isle of Iowa who met us that time or met me when we were sandbagging, and the rest kind of became history. We joined in 2009. We've been members ever since. I've been on the board uh, since 2010, 2011, and really that kind of changed our Buffett trajectory, so to speak in that we all of a sudden discovered uh, the whole undercurrent of musicians that come underneath Buffett. We also, uh, I think that we we attended our first Jimmy Buffett concert, our first live concert. Sounds crazy, but we did that in 2011 because of the Parrothead Club. So I often say, I like to say, we've been longtime fans of Jimmy's music. We've probably been shorter time folks when it comes to uh, truly understanding what Parrot Heads and what the deeper cuts of Jimmy's music and his genius is all about. So, A, that was Steve Robe that was sandbagging with you. <clears throat> That's correct. That's correct. Steve That's Robe. pretty funny. <laughs> and uh, I've always found it interesting in my time, and I've been involved you know, since 2004, how many people at this point, people who have been around for 10, 12, 15 years now, they did what you did, did what I did. They joined the Paradise Club first. Then they went to their first Buffett concert. As opposed to the, you know, the people who, who uh, have been involved in Paradise Club since the 90s or 2000s, they did it the other way. They were going to concerts forever, then joined the Paradise Club. So it's interesting to see that at some point in there that things kind of shifted. You know? Yeah, they shifted. You know, honestly, I think for us, um, we had stints. Of course, I grew up in central Iowa, close to Des Moines. Um, we were, uh, I, we were in Marshalltown for a while. That's where I started my professional career as a teacher and coach and got into administration, school administration. And then we had a stint, as I mentioned, up in Okaboji, clear up in Northwest Iowa, actually closer to South Dakota and Minnesota than you might think. And then, uh, now we've landed down here in Eastern Iowa, but I, part of it for us in terms of attending a Buffett concert was we loved his music. But to be really honest, we were big concert goers. We went to a lot of concerts, but you just didn't have access to Buffett without driving a long, a long ways or really making it a destination. And it wasn't something that had crossed our minds. So, you know, we would go to concerts that were more in Minneapolis or Sioux Falls, you know, when we were up in that neck of the woods or Des Moines. And those aren't the, those aren't the places Jimmy plays. So it wasn't that we wouldn't have seen him live maybe prior to that. It's just that we really didn't. uh, uh, It it wasn't something that we were at the point of saying, hey, we're going to make a pilgrimage in that trip to go see Buffett live somewhere. And that was really what the parrot had stirred for us. Yeah. And and it sounds like you got into the to the the board side of things, the the officer side of things pretty quick after you joined. All of Iowa has been the only club you've been associated with, right? Yeah, we, you know, I've belonged to other clubs. We, we currently hold membership in the Isle of Iowa, hold membership in the Quad City Parrothead Club. But in the past, I've had membership in Tampa. I've had membership in Chicago. I've had membership in Des Moines. Uh, back in the day when Dubuque was still a club, we were members there. So we kind of had multiple memberships. But yeah, really, I think the thing with the board for me was once we, once we joined and we started to go to a few meetings and a few events and we started to, again, find all kind of these like-minded folks who had been brought together by Jimmy. At that time, they, our club had a band uh, back in the day that were called the Cedar Island Band. And they actually had started out, their first iteration was the Cedar Reefer Band. But they had a, a school administrator who played in the band and honestly, the word reefer and school superintendent weren't probably a great match together. And so they had to iterate <laughs> to the Cedar Island band. 
And uh, they played largely, it was, it's a cover band, but some great musicians. And so we went to some of these first early events in the Parrothead Club. And you'd hear all these great Buffett covers. And, you know, they'd play others. So not just Jimmy, but they'd play other artists. But it was truly a cover band, a good cover band. And then, um, you know, I, I think our first event that we attended, we went over to Havana Daydreaming in the Quad Cities. And that was about our first year, I think, when we had joined. And again, a lot of the people we got to know by going to the meetings, they had said, oh, you, you got to come over to this event. You guys will love it. They actually had some of the Coral Reefer band come in and play uh, with a band that we had never heard of before. But we're like, hey, this sounds cool. There are going to be Coral Reefers there. So, and I think it was Nadira, and it was uh, Mike Utley, it was Doyle Grisham, and Robert Greenwich were the four that they had come in. And at the time, Quad Cities was huge. That was one of the largest uh, Parrothead clubs in the country at the time. They had a membership that was over 1,000 people. Um, so it was a huge group. So we, we didn't buy tickets in advance. We just drove over and thought, yeah, you know, we'll go over and check this out. We'll get tickets at the door. And we come down, we walk down to the door, and I'll be, tickets are sold out. There's a sign, sold out. And we're like, well, guess we're not going to be going to that. <laughs> so I had, uh, at the time, I messaged, uh, we'd gotten to know, of course, Steve and Sandy Robe and then some other Parrotheads. So we messaged them and said, hey, it looks like we're not going to be able to come in. Maybe we'll catch up with you guys somewhere. And all of a sudden, I calls back. He goes, we got tickets. He goes, the board from the Quad Cities has got tickets for you guys. So our first experience, it was a, a sold-out event with four coral reefers and this band we'd never heard of who just happened to be the Boat Drunks. And to be honest, we really fell in love with the boat drugs. That was, it was kind of that love at first, not sight, but first listen. Right. And uh, we've been huge boat drunks followers ever since that. But that was what I call the gateway, kind of that was the gateway experience where all of a sudden we, uh, we started to see the subculture underneath Buffett. You know, the boat drunks, I just want to talk about the boat drunks for a little minute. It, it should be impossible for anybody to call a five-time Band of the Year award winner underrated, but I still feel like they're underrated. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know, you don't hear people just going nuts over them the way they do some of these other acts. And, and some of it is the fact that they've been around for so long. You know, at some point, you're just no longer the new hot thing, no matter how good you are. But I still just feel like they're not as, pre, as appreciated nationwide as they should be. Oh, I, I don't know why. So I totally agree. I think, you know, honestly, as you're saying that, I'm sitting here thinking in my head. Um, I go back to, you know, Buffett's tune, Quietly Making Noise, that he's got out there. Mm -hmm. To me, that's the boat drugs. They're out there quietly making noise. They don't go out and actively campaign when they're nominated for an award. Um, you see them on the lineup at lots of events, but they're just really this um, authentic gr group of guys who – um, I think they're in it because they love the music and they don't really go out and seek out recognition. So I think that's another piece. When, when you say underrated, I think I totally agree with that. And I also think it's part of it is they're not a big self-promotional group of guys. Um, right. You know, they've just, it's just not who they are. But um, I, I, I personally think you're hard pressed to find a better band than the Boat Drunks. And honestly, you know, when we heard them that first time, we love the Buffett covers, but all of a sudden we heard their originals. I think I went home from, we went home from that first meeting, Michelle and I, and I think I had every CD that I bought from the merch table because we were like, these guys are incredible. They're amazing. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I think another reason that they are probably not as visible as some people or, you know, as outspoken as some people is that they are just the boat drunks. Yes, I mean, everybody kind of realizes that Mike is the front guy, that Jake was the front guy, co-founder for a long time. But um, they're not Jerry Diaz, and they're not Jim Morris, and they are just the boat drunks. So even Mike, who is you know the unquestioned leader of the band, is not out there as an individual as a Donnie Brewer or a Bob Carwin is, you know, because they're just the boat drunks, and they all – I think they're all – both personality-wise and because of the way the band set up, reluctant to put themselves out there individually the way a solo artist can. Yeah. 
I think that's a great observation. They're they're really a they're a unit. You know, I mean, they 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 truly define band. You yes. know, because um, there isn't one part that really um, I think seeks out the limelight. You know, it, it's it's the group, and um, boy, I tell you, they make some great music, but. They also have some really talented individuals in the band. You know, oh, yeah. I know that Dyke plays in several other projects. And then Howie, he's got a few things going and plays. And, I mean, you know, honestly, I, I've always been amazed with Howie. He can step in with absolutely anybody. And um, he, he takes that harmonica to a new level. You know, I kind of, I'd love to, I, I want to get him and Jamie Garner together from, from High South. Oh, that'd be good, yeah. Have a harmonica duel. I think that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be awesome. So, and while we're on the boat drunks, we, we got to mention Todd Lindsay. Um, oh my God! Who's yeah, been their manager, and uh, in some cases, just as visible as a lot of the guys in the band. You know, um, just because he is, especially when Mike was sick. Um, I mean, I, I think if Todd Lindsay did not do what he does to the boat drunks, the boat drunks would not have survived Mike being sick a few years ago. You know, I think he was the glue that held it together. That that. Uh, that kept everybody else out of the ditches and kept them going. Um, so shout out to Todd Lindsay for all he does. Absolutely. He works tirelessly on their behalf. I, you know, I, he, uh, such a big part of that, but you know, I just think it's amazing to think of, to think of how that band has stood the test of time and the many iterations that they've went through over time, mm-hmm. you know, they've had um, events just through the the pathway of life that would have, would have probably taken other bands down. So I think as you look at that, that's, I, I really, uh, I think that's a really, a great insight. The, 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 uh, the guiding force that Todd has been. So yeah. absolutely. All right. Well, moving on. So you talk about that uh, Havana daydream and that's, I mean, I've heard, I, I have to go to that sooner or later, but I've heard about that event for years. And that's like the boat drunks, like standing. They, I mean, I don't know. They probably played it 15, 20 years in a row at this point. So yeah, they've had a long-standing. There was a couple of years uh, where they moved and had Jimmy and the Parrots come, and uh, of course, Jimmy and the Parrots are a great band as well. But there was something that's synonymous about Havana Daydreaming and, and the Boat Drunks. And so, you know, when they had Jimmy and the Parrots, it was a. I think there was a thing of, hey, let's. You know, every event has to evolve, right. and they have to kind of think about some ways to kind of reintroduce themselves and remarket themselves. Um, and particularly with this one over in the Quad Cities, though, it's such a large local draw. So it isn't just parrot heads that attend the event, but because there's such a such a huge charity component to it, they get so many people from the general public. And I think the general public recognizes the boat drums. And so um, it's just really kind of a synonymous event with them. But they, the Quad City Club does a wonderful job with, uh, with this event. Um, it has been a long-standing tradition of ours, and uh, only last year I had to miss it. Last year, I think, is the first HDD I've missed since the first one we attended to, and that was uh, I was down with pneumonia. So, I mean, that's just kind of the draw that it has for you. Wow. So between uh, you know, at some point, you know, nine, eight, nine years later, you pull off this minor miracle at the Surf Ballroom with Island Fever Showcase. But get us from joining the Parrothead Club and going to, the, to your first big event at Havana Day Dreaming to dreaming up the idea for Island Fever Showcase. What happened in that time period in between? <laughs> well, you know, over that time, I, I did. I mean, I, I got involved with the board fairly quickly. Um, that's one of the things that uh, my wife, that Michelle, my wife, will say is she's like, man, when you're in, you're like all in. And she said, sometimes you need to just kind of like, you need to turn the idle on, on the engine instead of the always stepping on the gas, you know? So I, I, I appreciate that. I mean, we're, I think, um, you know, we balance, but you know, I, once we started to get involved with the Parrothead Club, it became kind of just this natural evolution. Um, I, I served a couple of years as membership director, and then I've been serving in the role of president for the last seven. And I think what I saw happen, the evolution between, um, that first experience and that first taste and where we are today uh, really came as you deepened your involvement in other events. So 
for me, uh, for both of us, Michelle and I, honestly, a lot of the artists were artists that we were totally, totally unfamiliar with, just like I said with the bow drums. So we started to go to other things. We did our first Buffett concert at Alpine Valley, which there's nothing like having Alpine Valley be your first Buffett concert. And I believe Alpine Valley was our second Buffett concert. And our third Buffett concert was seeing him on Duval Street in Key West, Florida at Me of the Mines during the Street Fest. 2011. So pretty unique introduction to Jimmy Live. I mean, to see him in Alpine Valley, which is kind of a bucket list venue for most people, um, and as we'd go up there, they had this big event um, in uh, Elkhorn outside of where the, the Alpine Valley Music Theater is. Called, uh, it was called the Buffett Bash, and it was produced by Bruce Kudick at the Two Seasons Bowl, this little obscure bowling alley in Elkhorn. And again, you'd see bands like the Boat Drunks, our own um, Cedar Island band played there. All of a sudden, we were introduced to guys like John Patty, who came up and played up there. Um, Tall Paul. And so we started to see all these other artists that started to come in through that segue. And then we learned that there were all these, you know, all of these cool events like HDD that were happening in other places. We actually attended um, back in the day, uh, the Chicago Parrot had, had uh, Party in Paradise. Uh, that was their iteration before Summer Chill. And it was more a uh, Kind of a single band venue. Mr. Myers, Johnny Rustler were bands we were exposed to there. We started to go to some stuff with, at that time, the Northern Illinois Pair Club, Paradise Club, the Sharks on the Rock. They had an event that happened, and we would go with a group of people to that event. Um, we'd go over to Des Moines. They had Livingston Saturday night. So we really got into this thing of going to other events. And as we started to go to other events, we started to hear the music that came through that. And um, then, you know, as a club, um, even before I was president, we did a couple of things with some uh, artists that were really near and dear to our club. Uh, one was Hugo Duarte um, and Jeff Pike when they would tour together, either as the Frozen Gringos or just as Hugo and Jeff. And then uh, Jerry Gontang, Mike Broward, um, who that was actually one of the first bands that our club had hired. And that was way before we were even involved with it um, with stars on the water. So we started to hear this undercurrent and more of these musicians and really just started to kind of fall in love with them. And so, um, but Hugo and my, I would say Hugo and Jeff were kind of one of the real catalysts that turned. And when I became president, we began to look and say, Hey, maybe we should be a little bit more active in, um, and don't take this wrong, Parenthood Clubs do great work for charity. And that's why many of our members get involved. They love the charitable spirit. But we also, at the core of that, what, one of the things that I was really big about was the music, because it was the music that also brought us together, not just the charitable spirit. And so that's when we started to do some things with, we, we build them as club concerts, but they were actually house concerts held in a club member's house somewhere. Yeah. And um, we did that with Hugo and Jeff, and um, I, I remember some feedback that we got with our first couple of them. Um, and if you know, as, as I'm sure you do, you know Hugo, and our second one was actually Sonny Jim, okay? And the thing was, we were using a house, and they were outdoors to begin with, and then we had to move indoors because of weather. And it devolved into not a really good house concert experience, our first two. Because everybody thought it was more about this huge party. Right. And so we got some really, the thing I love about both Hugo and about James is that they're pretty authentic and they're going to give you feedback. Whether, you know, and feedback that you probably need to hear. But don't <laughs> want to hear. And their feedback was, hey, these can be so much more. This is really about a listening experience. It's about, you know, again, I could, I remember Sonny Jim's comment was, he said, I could have stood up in front of these folks and I could have sang Margaritaville 72 times and nobody would have known the difference to what I was singing because it was just such a buzz. Right. And so that was constructive feedback for us. And that has led us to go. Um, I was recently looking, we have in some way, shape or form, either in a venue or at a house, we've done a total of 47 club concerts over the last six years. Whew. And I think that's pretty cool 
But from Sunny Jim, we really evolved. And the next one that we went to was uh, the next one we went to was Brittany Kingery and Rob Hill and Melanie Howe. That was that same year. And I always like to tell the story. What was kind of comical about it was we'd had the Sunny Jim experience, and it had not went maybe as well as we would have liked. All right, it, it was a great experience. But I took the feedback from Sunny Jim. So when when Rob and Brittany and Mel came. Um, I jumped up in front of the, our crowd, and we had a great crowd again, and I said, hey, I just want to talk to everybody about this is intended to be a listening experience. So we want to make sure that we're listening to the music and honor your neighbors, you know, by not having a loud conversation. If you want to have a loud conversation, please, you know, walk uh, somewhere else in the yard where everybody can't hear you, where you're not interrupted. And um, so I gave this big, you know, kind of this big introduction, and you know, of course, those guys just blew it out of the water. Of course, not at that time, none of us had ever heard of Brittany Kingery or Rob Hill or Melanie Howe. And we were absolutely, I think, I think the silence was because people's mouths were hanging open because of this amazing sound and the amazing music they were producing. But probably also my little, uh, hey, this is the experience and we need to be silent. It, it was my, the teacher in me coming out, you know, hey, kids, <laughs> if we're not quiet, we're not going out for recess right now. So they get to the end of the show and they're doing uh, the song, You Make Me Feel Like Dance, and Brittany was going to cover and I'm looking around and all the people are kind of in their chairs still and they're sitting in their chairs and their feet are moving, but nobody's standing up. And I kind of looked and Brittany's like, well, it's, Hey, it's okay to stand up now. So I turn, I stand up and get everybody to stand up. <laughs> so we evolved through all of these concerts to this kind of this nice mix of, I think now our club understands and so appreciates uh, so many of the independent musicians. So, you know, um, that was really kind of the evolution was the house concerts. We attended music on the Bay and of course a number of meeting of the minds. And in the back of my mind, we had our major fundraiser, our major kind of parodied event was an event called Island Fever Flocking. And we always would hire our local band, the Cedar Island band. When that band disassembled and broke apart and went into two different bands, we didn't want to favor one or over the other. So we then uh, kind of pivoted, and we brought in Rick Lamb and the Fanatics one year, and uh, we brought in a, the, the main band was a band out of Chicago called the Blues Brothers. It was a Blues Brothers tribute. Oh. And so what we started to do was show, show people that, hey, um, it doesn't have to always be trop rock. It can be about a lot of varieties of genres and music. Right. Um, we brought the Blue Brothers in for a couple of years. One year we had the Boat Drunks trio open for them. And then the next year we had the Boat Drunks. And in the back of my mind, we did kind of a multi-band bill with two bands. Um, so it was similar to what HDD had done in the Quad Cities. But yet at the same time, it was in the back of my mind, I'd been going to music on the band. I'm thinking, how cool would that be to have something like that in Iowa? Right. We had a lot of members that had talked at times about, of course, the, the original Cedar Island band. They just wanted to get on the stage at the surf ballroom. And so our, our club way back when had said, oh, man, wouldn't it be cool? Let's, we should rent the surf ballroom out. We should, we should do a Cedar Island band show there. And so that was still kind of just bouncing around in my head, that, that thought. But it wasn't big enough. I mean, for me, I'm kind of like we can do this. If we're going to do the surf ballroom, this has to be something. <laughs> this has got to be bigger than just the Cedar Island band singing a bunch of Buffett cover songs, yes. right? It, it has to be bigger than that. And so that, but each of those events, I think were the iteration to get us to the surf. And, uh, you know, honestly, we don't have a lot of stuff in Iowa. You know, everybody wants to flock from here to go to the beach in Tampa or to come down to Galveston Bay or to hit Key West. But um, the surf, I really felt that could be our draw. That could be the reason why people from around the country would come to Iowa, which they usually think about as cornfields. Yeah, I want to take the deep dive in, into the surf ballroom Island Fever Showcase. But first, I want to go back to house concerts for just a second. And I, I just want to remind everyone how important house concerts are to our independent musicians in all times, but especially right now during the time of COVID-19, house concerts are the only thing that is dependable for our touring musicians. Um, and unfortunately, I think at that po this point, it's obvious that these 
you know, the, the, the restrictions and the, the uncertainty on the part of venues is going to continue into 2021. So if, if you are interested in hosting a house concert, now is the time to do it because the musicians are dying to do it. They're going to be very forgiving of newbies that may not get everything covered that they, they would like to get covered because, again, house concerts are the only thing that is dependable right now. And kind of like you talked about, you know, growing the, the house concerts and growing the environment uh, that you want to have at a house concert, you can always go from listening environment to a party environment in one song. It's really, really hard to go the other way. You know, you got to start listening and then go to party. You can't party and then go listen. That It just doesn't work. So That's exactly what we learned, I think. And, uh, you know, again, I was so appreciative of, of – of, and I give him credit, Hugo and James back in the day. Um, that was kind of a light bulb for us that, hey, let's be about the music, and then we can throw the party in, you know, and you can, you can kind of evolve that. And I think we've gotten pretty skillful at doing that over time. Um, you know, uh, and it, honestly, it's one of the things that our members will say is one of the things they most appreciate is the musicians coming to them. And honestly, I was kind of a hotbed. Um, I mean, even this year in COVID, um, we have, and I give, I, you know, I just kind of serve maybe as the guy who points the artists in the right direction. But we've got two folks who uh, um, we do regular concerts at. One is Dandy's Beach Bar, which is about an hour away from us over in DeWitt, Iowa. They've done, I think, like five house concerts this year. They've had Mike Nash and Tom and Coley and Erica Sunshine Lee and Aaron Shears. Um, Donnie was over there. And then the other one we've got is a one that's real close, about 20 minutes from our house, but um, it's uh, a home of one of our board members, uh, Layman's Backyard Soiree. And we actually have, we were scheduled to have Brent Burns earlier this year. And uh, then just because of the COVID situation, that didn't work out. So we actually have Sonny Jim and John Patty there tomorrow. And then we're going to have uh, Paul Rausch coming up in a couple weeks. And we got Jake and Jackson Tater coming later on, uh, early part of October. So I really give the credit to those folks who have the homes that we host the concerts in. I would love to host them here, but uh, I don't have a yard that's conducive. My yard is a walkout lot. And people would be rolling down the hill every time. We might have be able to find enough flat ground for the musicians, but probably not enough flat ground for anybody else. Yeah. So I give a lot of credit to our members and how they've stepped up and just embrace that thing that you're talking about, how it can be a music experience and it's not an or. So right. I, I couldn't agree more. Hey y'all, this is Kitty Stedman from Drop Dead Dangerous. I want to thank you for listening to Trop Rock 101 podcast with Pirates and Poets. Pirates and Poets is a crucial platform for independent artists and writers, and they have been working tirelessly to make sure that we make it through this difficult time. Please show them your support as well by visiting piratesandpoets.net slash store or piratesandpoets.net slash donate. Cheers, y'all. So... At what point did you really realize that you were going to take a swing at making something big happen at the surf ballroom? Well, you know how I said, every event kind of needs to evolve. And it would have been 20, 2016 was the last year that we did the um, Island Fever Flocking. And it was, we had the boat drunks. We have, uh, because of the charitable aspect, and I've got some relationships here in our community, we were having it at a big Marriott convention center, this huge space. And what we started to see was we started to see that, you know, just like anything over time, uh, there, there were two things that hurt us. One was we had moved it. We had to move it to the fall about several years before that. And we were competing with football. So we always had to schedule around the university of Iowa football schedule because they're here located here in our town, the Hawkeyes and on Hawkeye football Saturdays, pretty much nothing else can happen because there's no space for anything. Right. Um, and so when we made that pivot to the fall, we knew that probably we were going to have to think of something different. And so 2016, we brought the boat drunks in and that was kind of, for me, first time that our club had hosted the boat drunks for an event. And I thought, you know, this might be a good time to sunset that. And so that's really when the, the, the idea for, I, I'd been thinking about this idea for the surf all through, uh, for, for, for that year before. 
and thinking, hey, if we're going to change, we probably need a year to plan this at least. And so it would have been in um, uh, late 2016, I reached out to uh, one of the guys from the surf ballroom. He's the entertainment, uh, runs a lot of the audio. And we just, we, we exchanged, he lives up in Wisconsin. We exchanged a lot of conversations and he's like, you know, I think I, I, he said, I love this idea. We've always talked about wanting to do something with, you know, kind of Buffett music. And he said, it's just like the stars are kind of aligning here. So we, we got involved. We did our last uh, flocking 2016. And then um, I pitched the idea again, formally to the surf in early 2017. And we were looking for a date. And the problem was we could not find a date. Clear Lake is a, uh, it's a tourist community up there. Um, they were having the one date that we were going to use. They had this huge fireworks convention in early August. And it's like, you can't find a hotel room anywhere within a, a radius. And so as we started to talk about the date, Brad's like, what about Labor Day weekend? And I'm like, huh, Labor Day weekend. I said, it's, it's a tourist town. He goes, yeah, it's kind of sleepy up here on Labor Day. Everybody's kind of usually closing up their cabins, you know, and last are on. I'm like, well, I don't know. Let's give it a try. Because I'm thinking in the back of my mind, um, heading out to San Francisco for the Labor Day weekend show. That's the lyric that's running through my head. Yep. Why can't, why can't it be heading, out to, heading up to Clear Lake, Iowa for the Labor Day weekend show? So Brad took this and kind of began to work with the surf uh, a little bit on it. And then I got a call from their executive director said, hey, we want you to come up for a Neil Diamond tribute concert. And it was actually uh, um, one of Bobby V's kids who, you know, goes way back in the history of the surf. So I went up and... um, at the intermission, um, the executive director comes over and says, hey, we w- I'd like to introduce you to some people. C- come on back to our office here. So I go back and inside's the president of their board and their entertainment director and their executive director. And they're like, you know, they said, we've heard about this thing, this event that you, you guys have got kind of tentatively on a calendar. And we just want to talk a little bit more about it. And um, I think it was probably at that point that reality set in that, oh, my God, this is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and they were pretty upfront in saying, look, we usually don't work with outside organizations very much. Um, It's never went well for us. We do our own thing. We're a nonprofit. You know, all of our proceeds go right back into our education programs. And we found it's better to just, you know, serve the community, but do that through our own nonprofit. But we're going to take a chance on this. And so that was really, I think it would have been kind of the catalyst. So I always credit. I think the idea of just doing a, a, something at the surf started within our club a long time ago. And then for me, I'm always about not how do you just do it, but how do you do it better than what you maybe originally envisioned? And so that's how that evolved. And that's how we ended up with the showcase in 2018. So crazy enough, lots of different influences. Uh, you can see a little bit of music on the bay in it. You can see a little bit of meaning of the minds in it. You can see a little bit of Havana Day Dreaming in it. You can see a little bit of the house concert philosophy. So it was kind of blending all of these experiences that that we'd had um, into into one big blowing up show. <laughs> yeah, and and then you throw in the 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 history and the the aura of the surf, and it's a it's a great way to get people from outside the Midwest. You know, we were August, 2018 when Danielle and I were getting ready to come up there for the first time, we were like, can you believe we're this excited about going to freaking Iowa? I mean, it was like, (laughs) you know, it was, it was hilarious, but I mean, having that kind of venue with that kind of history as a draw, you know, I mean, y'all could have done a great party without drawing anybody outside the Midwest. But when you start drawing people from, florida and the west coast and you know the gulf coast for your first time event you've done something right off the bat we had 37 states represented at the first event yeah so which was pretty cool and uh you know i I, but i think you're right john i don't think anybody really think thought about iowa you know in the past it's flyover country i mean you know let's be honest and um the other thing that really for me was a driver was as you think about Trop Rock and you think about the history that it's had. So uh, getting to know these artists 
uh, a lot better over that course of time that we really got engaged with the genre. Um, the one thing I was always surprised with was I'm like, how come some of these artists aren't blowing up more? You know, I mean, I'm honestly, selfishly, I'm glad that they aren't because it gives us our opportunity to, to know them and consider them friends and to host them in your house and, you know, to be, to be up close and personal. But yet the music is so, it's so fantastic. I mean, it's as good as anything you hear on mainstream radio uh, in this day and age. And so there was a part of me that also was driven by the surf to say, we need to get into a venue that's befitting of the wonderful music and the spirit of this genre and um, do something that's not, don't take it wrong. I love being on a beach. It's a great place to be, but let's do something in a, in a, in a, in a wildly historic venue that has uh, charted the course of history for musicians Let's put these musicians on kind of the, on the, the big stage they deserve to be on. So right. that was another little motivating factor for me, I think, in the whole thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, as, as you know, in two years since, uh, since the first showcase, I've told so many people, I'm like, you know, I feel like, especially once we get the second one under our belts, that, that people who are heavily involved in that event, yourself, uh, me with Pirates and Poets, the boat drunks, the girls, donnie you know you can we can honestly go to other venues all over the country you could go to the house of blues yep and and they're gonna they're gonna be like uh i don't know about this hey we played the surf ballroom we've done events at the surf ballroom you know because yep. in the in, of course the surf is known to a lot of fans but in the industry the surf is known I and mean, it's it's been finalist for you know venue of the year some different uh, uh professional awards cma and stuff like that you know so it legitimizes a lot of the work that we've all been doing in the genre to outside people. And that's invaluable. Yeah, it totally. I mean, it was, uh, so it would have been last year. I think it was last year. Um, they had uh, contacted me. We finished. Here's the cool thing about the surf staff. So, so this is one of the things I'll share. Um, they finished second in the voting at the uh, CMA awards for right. small venue of the year. They finished second, and the event that won was the Ryman Auditorium, the freaking Ryman. <laughs> okay, so to finish second to the Ryman is pretty pretty dang special. I mean, yeah. you know, one of the few venues that is hands down more historic than the Surf. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, the cool thing though I learned about the Surf is they were so it was last year in two thousand. We were nominated for the TRMA Event of the Year, and I shared that with them. Um, that, uh, you know, I just want to let you know we're nominated. We're not going to win, but, you know, we're nominated. And, uh, you know, we don't do any of this about awards or anything, but it was, it, the recognition was cool. And I wanted them to be able to know that, hey, this had attracted some attention, you know. And so the cool thing was they were as excited about that nomination as they were about the nomination in, this, in the CMA Awards for the Ryman Auditorium. That's <laughs> uh, just how genuine and uh, down-to-earth this venue is and the people who run it. There, it's not a big uh, money venue. It is, it, they run it on a shoestring, uh, literally, because it's a nonprofit totally devoted to community betterment of the community in this big time venue. Uh, just an amazing group of people up there. Truly an amazing group of people. Yes, we, we really enjoyed getting to know uh, Shane and some of his crew a little bit when we were there and looking forward to doing it again. And, and Clear Lake, how big is Clear Lake? Eight, ten thousand people? About 7,500 people. Mason City, which is three miles uh, away, is the larger city, you know, and even that's 25, 30,000. So um, it's not a huge area. So you're looking at a metro area, metro in air quotes here, of maybe 40, 45,000 people that's supporting a venue that can hold 2,200 people. That's insane. Yeah, yep. That's unheard yep. of in the modern yep. music industry. So, yep. And you know, while we're talking about the surf, we have to talk about uh, about the you know that pirates and poets got to be involved uh, with the Island Paper Showcase, and uh, it's so funny because I guess it was probably it was in 2017. In the space of just a couple of days, Donnie Brewer and Kitty Stedman both called me up and said, "Hey, there's this guy in Iowa. He's he's working on an event at the Surf Ballroom, and uh, we we told him he needs to have you involved." And I'm like, "Well, that'd be you know really awesome because." Yeah, I know. I knew about the surf already and everything. And uh, eventually, yeah, you know, you 
sent an email or called us up. I don't remember how, but uh, we, Danielle and I, neither one of us had ever met you before. And you were like, yeah, I want you to come to the surf ballroom and be the stage manager for our event. And it's just a, incredible to me. That was, you know, two and a half years ago that you called us up and now we're, we're good buddies. And, uh, but it just blows my mind, you know, a, that the surf let you guys in to do the event there. And then that the surf that you let us in and the surf let us in. Cause that's a whole funny story that I'll let you tell about once you got Island fever in, then you had to get pirates and poets in. So tell that story. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, you know, I, I, the piece when you talk about um, just getting your foot in the door at the surf, and, you know, it is pretty unbelievable because I do remember um, in 2018 after I had kind of had – or 2017 after I did some initial conversations, Donnie had been up here and played a house concert. And they were going from here. They were going to Minnesota. And on they, the Babbins were actually traveling with them, Eric and Gina. So they'd spent a couple days here in Iowa and hung around with us, and we played some games at the kitchen table. You know, you know the, the whole Donnie experience, Donnie okay. Michelle. Um, and so on their way to Minnesota, they stopped at the surf because um, Eric and Gina had never been there. I'm not sure that Donnie and Michelle had either, so they wanted to see this venue that we were, you know, because I kind of said, hey, I think we're going to pull this off. And it was actually – I had talked to them about it. I'd went, that was the year I went to laid back attack out in Washington, Michelle and I. And we met them out there and got to know them really well at laid back. So they go in this venue, and I remember after the fact, Eric's telling me he went in the venue, he looked around, and he's like, there is absolutely no way that Bart is ever going to pull this off. This is, <laughs> there is no way this is ever going to happen, you know? And so, you know, and it was the ride to get to the event in 2018 was really interesting. Um, Clear Lake's about two and a half hours from where I live here in Coralville. And so I had made a commitment that, hey, we're going to go up, at least me. And I was hoping I could get a couple of my board members, and I did, um, to go along with me. Uh, But we're going to go up and just have regular communication with the surf. And so we would make the john up there pretty religiously at least once a month to sit down and meet with them and talk about the event. And all through this, they're looking at this and they're going, they're just not seeing ticket sales. And I had kind of warned them up front. I said, look, we're not going for the 2000 standing room only thing that you need for Vince Gill, um, who happened to play there shortly before in 2018, shortly before my fateful meeting with them. And, um, so they just weren't seeing that, and I think they had just such a high degree of skepticism. I mean, one of the first things that I launched with them was this idea of, you know, they were really worried about people coming in and just playing cover music. And I said, no, you don't get it. Our, our artists are not cover artists. They're genuinely talented, gifted, wonderful artists who all get along with each other. And they're all about this fiber. But until you experience it, and especially for a venue like that, that's used to working with Gene Simmons and Willie Nelson and, you know, all of the, the, the whole corporate side of things in the music industry. Um, so I had said, you know, um, they didn't want somebody getting up there and just doing a bunch of Buddy Holly cover songs. Because they said, oftentimes that's what people who have never played the surf, they want to get up there and have their moment. And I said, no, 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 we'll, we'll put all of that in the contracts. We'll get all of that worked out. And I had one request for him, though. I said, I really want to see, I said, I know our artists are going to want to play. I said, we'll put it in the writer that, you know, you can't play any Buddy Holly, blah, blah, blah songs. We're going to do some type of special tribute to that. They were a little uneasy, but okay. I said, I'd also like to see uh, some version of American Pie. And they're like, yeah, you know, we don't really love that song. And I'm like, (laughs) what? I'm thinking the lyrics to American Pie are written on the wall in the green room signed by Don McLean. Right. And that even, you know, that was the inspiration. And he's like, yeah, we just don't, um, we think it's dark and the day the music died. And I remember they looked in and showed me a writer with, uh, with Vince who was coming up that had this American Pie exclusion. <laughs> I'm like, holy crap. And so I was like, you know, all through, I kind of continued as we evolved with the contracts for the artists. I was kind of just kind of poking a little bit at, hey, we'll do this. And I think at some point they kindly kind of decided this is going to be a total disaster anyway. Fine. Just let him do what he wants to do. We're just going to, you know, oh, my God. You know, they're nervous. 
So we have the American pie exclusion that we got to do it our way. But the story continues. So we're going up to all these meetings. We're into July, and the showcases happen in early September. And at that time, they were still humoring me, but the ticket sales were where I wanted them to be. They were, you know, five, 600 people. And that's what I said. Will, you're going to have, you are going to make so much money on your bar. You're going to have so many things. And at this, by this point, I had talked them into violating every policy that they had put in place because they don't have food in the surf. And I had got them convinced to allow us to let restaurants deliver food so people could eat in. Right. Um, we had talked about how the security was going to look different, that people would be able to come and go, which they never do. And like I said, I think they were just kind of throwing up their arms thinking, oh my God, what the hell? Let's just get through this, you know? <laughs> and um, I bubbled up Pirates and Poets. I bubbled up you guys and said, hey, we really need these guys to come and, you know, help us out with the stage. And they're, they're really, a, the, the artists, they have so much capital with the artists. And, um, and Shane was probably less than enthused about that. And so <laughs> it was kind of that. Yeah. Ebb and flow, we continued to talk and talk back and forth. And finally, I think we'd laid some, I'd laid some numbers out in front of him. And um, his words to me were, he said, all right, well, they can come. Well, let them come. But I reserve the right to fire them on the spot. And I'm like, <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I'll give in on that. <laughs> yeah. I just remember we got on a plane going, we may or may not get paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, by the, by the time we got on the plane, uh, you know, Shane and I had talked extensively both on phone and email, and I knew we were good at that point. But, you know, a few months out, we were like, yeah, okay, we're committing. We're buying plane tickets, and we don't know if we're going to get paid or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and the story on it is I think we had to go through that, that relationship forging because yeah. you know after it was all said and done and they uh we did the american pie finale um which will you know you've got to see it live if you if you're not there to see it live you're really missing out yes but what i noticed we i think the part for me that knew we'd turn the corner is we're standing up on stage because you guys had all said hey let's get the promoters and everybody up on stage so we, we have this sea of humanity from the genre on stage mm -hmm. all these artists um, all of, you know, promoters, you, everybody else. And I'm watching, and it was really just kind of goosebumps the first time those chords hit, when Mike Nash hit those chords. And then as the song went on, I'm looking out, and of course the crowd's looking up at us. I'm looking back at the portraits on the back of the wall. Oh, yeah. Richie Valens and the Big Bopper looking down on us. And a little piece that not a lot of people know is there are three little lights that the surf has installed above those portraits. And they are considered to be the three shining stars. And the only time they ever light those three stars is during the winter dance party at the grand finale, which is there to honor uh, Buddy Richie and the Big Bopper and um, their final performance there. And we're going through American Pine. I look up and I see these lights go on. And I'm like, wait a minute. I talked to they, they, they said those will never light during anything other than the winter <laughs> dance party, you know. And so that kind of resonated with me. And then in our follow-up meetings with the surf, um, Shane very much was like, I have to tell you, you guys pulled something off that we never, never thought this was going to happen. He says, a month before the event, we were trying to think about how are we going to talk him out of this? You know, <laughs> we got to figure out how to talk him out of this because this is going to be bad. Yeah. You know, and he said, you guys truly proved us wrong. And he, that was kind of the, the launch of saying, let's work with some more things. And so in, you know, we never intended to do the showcase as a multi-year event. It was a one and done thing. Um, but they wanted to have, we brought A1A in the next year with High South, um, dropped it dangerous. They did the first live broadcast from the surf in the history of the surf this year during pandemic times. Right. Um, and of course, we're scheduled for the showcase again, uh, not happening this year, but next year. So it's been that relationship. And I think we kind of had to go through that dance to get there. Yeah, it, it, you know, any, anything you're working with people like that who are pros at what they do, uh, you know, uh, they're not just going to take people off the street at their word. Um, they're going to make you prove it. And you proved it, definitely. I think, you know, your local Parrothead Club clubs and club leaders proved it. The crowd proved it. The musicians proved it. And uh, I think it's a, you know, it, it's, it's a huge feather in the in community's cap to have somebody like the Surf Ballroom believe in us the way they do now so 
Totally. And I, I say the genre proved it because that was the one thing that resonated with them. And when we talked about doing this encore edition of the showcase, um, the one thing, the things that worried them the most about the first one were the first things that they told me these have to happen at the second one. So the flip flop hop, that was something they were worried about had to happen. That was a condition. If we're going to do this again, we got to do the flip flop hop again. Oh, and if we're going to do this again, we've got to do the American pie closing. And I just asked, I said, what changed your mind about that? And he said, "Uh, it's, it's your people. He said, it's your people. It's the genre. It's the fans. It's the musicians. He said, they just, they get along. He said, you know, we're just so used to working with people who are mad because somebody touched their guitar or, Hey, (laughs) why are there green M&Ms in my candy in the, in, in the green room? You know, we're, we're so used to working with that. And from the very minute that that event launched, your artists were there and they're pitching in to move this piece of the stage. And, oh, this person can use that. And they said, you get us. That's what we want this venue to be about is really the humanity of music and the good in people. And I think we showed them that there's not a better group of people than the trop rock genre. So that's really what sold the event. There you go. So, hey, I, I do. Uh, I'm a little crunched on time here, but I do want to address the elephant in the room real quick. And that is you are running for a uh, president of PHIP Paradise in Paradise in the special election uh, that will be starting here in a few days. Uh, so take three minutes and, and throw out why people should vote for you. Well, I'll take three minutes. And, and instead of throwing out why they should vote for me, I'm just going to say why they should vote. Um, you know, here's the deal. I, I, I want people to go out and I want them to read the platform statements. Read what the candidates have put forth, okay? And at the end of the day, if you like what I have to say, I'll, I should, I'll welcome your vote. Um, but the bottom line is vote. Um, we've had such um, ambivalence in elections in the past where we've got very few clubs that actually vote. Um, this is a huge opportunity in front of us. And I, I really believe that the local clubs need to have their voices heard. And if there is a reason to vote for me, I think that really stands at the heart of what it is. I think your national club is only going to be as strong as what your local affiliate organizations are. And when we don't always welcome the voice, and it's become pretty apparent uh, since I announced I was going to run uh, for the position of president, I've gotten a lot of feedback from local clubs that are like, hey, we, we've tried to throw this idea out or throw that out, and it just gets thrown out. Um, and I think for me, the motivation that I look at is we have to embrace our local affiliates. We've got to embrace the ideas that come. We've got to work with like-minded organizations that are out there. This isn't all about us uh, and them. It's all about all of us together. And how can we build, uh, build a stronger foundation? I think people sometimes worry uh, about, well, hey, the PHIP is all about Buffett. You know what? You're right. It always will be. The name Parrothead comes from Buffett. <laughs> so Buffett's always going to be at the foundation of what we do. You're always going to hear a healthy dose of Jimmy's music. Um, you're always going to hear, but cooler than that, you're going to hear artists who are inspired by Jimmy. So... For me, I, you know, again, you got some great candidates that are out there running. Um, you got the general election, uh, and you've got three positions with uh, six candidates running. Um, and, uh, you know, all, all of those candidates, I think, have platforms that are um, in some way, shape, or form reflect change. All right. Now, I really encourage folks to take a look at Brad Nunemaker and Eric Babin and Steve Elliott, Kyle Witten. Those guys really, even though they don't possess previous experience on a national board level, they've got some wonderful experience. And they're going to help create that next iteration of what PHIP is all about. Of course, the special election, the, uh, the information I think will be coming out. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm thinking soon. Um, I understand there's a couple of us running in that myself. And then Andy Harrell, who is a former PHIP vice president back in the day. And um, uh, again, I just encourage people to vote. Take a look at what I stand for. And really what I stand for is a voice of the local affiliates. And um, 
You throw in that transparency piece as well. You'll see that in my platform. You'll also see me talk about we've got to be a little bit more innovative if we're going to evolve into kind of the future. And uh, we need to use communication and we need to build some relationships to do that. But um, I just encourage people to vote. Be, be an informed voter. Um, look stuff up. Go to my Facebook page. Take a look at uh, some videos I've got up there. And if you're so inclined, I'd love your support. But bottom line, I'd love it even more if you just vote. There you go. Uh, Bart Mason, PHP president, uh, has the official endorsement of Pirates and Poets in the Trap Rock 101 podcast. I don't know that that's going to help you. It might hurt you, but I'm giving it to you anyway. <laughs> well, you know, hey, who, uh, you, uh, you know, I, again, at the end of the day, I, I think we've already won that election. I don't really, uh, and, and don't take this wrong. For me, it's not, a, it's not a loss if I don't win the election. In fact, there's probably some things I'm like, why did I decide I'm going to run for this again? I've got a lot of <laughs> irons in the fire with some stuff. But um, at the end of the day, I think we've won because we got a great discussion going out there about what needs to happen. Where do we need to go? And um, I think elections are all about ideas. And it, the more important part of it is about the discussion. So the discussion's happening. And that, that's a good thing. There you go. So, hey, we, uh, we always close every episode with a series of rapid-fire questions. So, if you are ready, right. here we go. Favorite Jimmy Buffett song? You know, my favorite one is Take Another Road. I love that song. Ooh, that's definitely in my top five. I, I go through, I find that about every year or two, my favorite Buffett song tends to change. Well, it was tough because it was either going to be that one or it was going to be Cowboy in the Jungle. I also love Cowboy in the that's Jungle. That's in the top, my top five too. So see, <laughs> wait, did you, did you do your homework? Did you prepare for this? I did not. I did not. <laughs> I, I, but I'm feeling better about that chance we took on Pirates and Poets a couple of years back now, man. I, we, we, we should go. have this discussion <laughs> <then>. <laughs> All right. Favorite beach? Uh, my favorite beach any, any of them on the Gulf Coast, any one of them on the Gulf Coast, although we were really enamored with, uh, we were up in the Panhandle this last year, uh, up around the Floribama, so, but it's Gulf Coast, so anything along the Gulf Coast. There we go. Kenny Chesney or Bob Marley? Oh, that's a tough one. I love, I'm going to say in that Bob Marley, because of my respect for what he, had, what he just him as a musician, but I really have become a Kenny Chesney fan over the years. But Bob Marley, I'd go with. All right. Uh, what's your favorite song by an independent trap rock artist? Oh, well, you know what? It changes all the time. But I'm going to tell you, the one that really resonates with me at this time is Together We Fly by the Boat Drunks, uh, penned by Mike Miller. And part of that is I think that's just what we're all about. I think he just nailed um, what our trap rock genre is all about. And so um, that one just comes to mind. Yeah, it's a good one. Favorite cocktail? Mm. Well, you know, I'm probably more of a margarita guy. So I would say margaritas. Um, but I'm one of those guys, my wife tells me that I like the fruity, uh, the fruity drinks, you know. Oh. Usually she'll add maybe a little bit more to that, but we'll leave it at that. So I'm, <laughs> I, I'm open to trying many things. All right. What is a book that you've read and enjoyed that you think everyone should read? Well, I'll tell you, the one that resonates with me, and this is probably more so because of my education, uh, what I do in the education field, but I love the book Good to Great by Jim Collins. And uh, that really kind of epitomizes a lot of how I go about it when I think about events. I'm always, I'm never satisfied with something that's good because I always want to strive to make it great. Um, so good to great is the one that resonates with me. I don't know that one. I'm about to go look it up. So it's all about the business side of industry and how good is the enemy of great. If you if you become complacent by thinking that you're good, that you'll never achieve what you can if you strive to be great. So yeah, okay. Favorite Buffett album? You know, uh, living and dying in three quarter time. There we go. And uh, here's the big one: the one that people have to think about sometimes. If you were going to build a Mount Rushmore of trap rock musicians, what four faces would you put on it? Wow, that is tough. Well, you know, I think if I were going to build a Mount Rushmore of trap rock musicians, four faces, and this is going to get me in trouble because this is the one that everybody's like, oh, man, you didn't mention me in that. How come? <laughs> um, you know, I think 
I would be remiss if I didn't say you'd have to have Buffett up on that Mount Rushmore because, you know, good, bad, he's, he's the guy that has made so much inspiration. So he'd be one. The other one who I would put right beside him is somebody who's near and dear to my heart is Jim Morris. Um, Jim Morris, I have so much love and appreciation for his music and just appreciated having the opportunity to be able to spend a little bit of time with him. And um, so appreciate who he is and who he was and what he brought to us. The other one that I throw up there because of accomplishment is a guy by the name of Jerry Diaz, who you know well. And I think Jerry would go there because of all he's meant to the genre. I mean, you know, he kind of originated the idea of meeting of the minds. And, you know, a lot of the early days, I think it was New Orleans. Um, So, so much that he's brought to that genre, he's got to be up there and he's got to be on that. And the other one I would put in there is really, for me, um, and this is a deal, not necessarily a musician or an artist, but I'd put Scott Nickerson up there as well, because okay. Nickerson really credits with that first Parrot Head Club. So even though that's not a trop rock musician, I'd put him up there. I think he plays drums. So I can, I can, I've got a little bit of musicianship there. But uh, those would be the four I would go with. Okay, so here's the deal. The, the follow-up question to this is uh, – one more person who is not a musician, but from the community. So do you want to put Scott in that slot and then add one more full-blown musician? Oh, yeah, yeah. Scott, okay. Scott is a musician, but you know, he's not been active as a musician in a long yeah, time. Yeah, so. that would be great. Um, you know, I think so. If that were the case, the other one that I would, I would really I would add to that, um, I'd go with James White. I'd go with Sonny Jim. And the reason I'd go with Sonny Jim is just because uh, – He's been around the genre for a long time. He's a great ambassador, and not that there aren't others who are out there, but I do think about, and, and oftentimes um, when, I, when I listen to, uh, one of my favorite albums to listen to is uh, the Gulf Shore uh, live CD with Jim Morris and Sonny Jim together. Yeah, yeah. And I just think it really goes back to express what, you know, uh, I get so much enjoyment from that. And it's kind of that escape. So I think that'd be the other one I'd throw up. All right, there we go. I like it. Well, Bart Mason from the Isle of Iowa Paradise Club, Island Paper Showcase, thank you much for coming on the show. Uh, thank you for everything you've done for uh, Pirates and Poets. We consider you a great friend and uh, look forward to hanging out with you again sometime soon. Absolutely, John. And thank you for all you do. Uh, Pirates and Poets was a huge part of the success of the showcase in 2018. Um, I don't, we wouldn't have experienced what we did without you guys there. And I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to 2021 because of the pirates and poets showcase first one in Iowa and uh, the all-stars. So you guys, uh, you know, but more importantly, um, I love what you do for the music, but I, but Michelle, I love you guys as friends, both you and Danielle. We we're so glad we've crossed paths. Yes. Well, thank you much. And we will see you soon. Sounds great. Thanks, John.